Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Ranger Rendezvous podcast. My name is Eric Ash, and I am joined by Matt Hudson today. And we are going to be talking about skills to learn before you go to Philmont. This is the first episode in a series of episodes we have planned that are going to be discussing what you can do to better prepare yourself for a successful Philmont trek. The topics we're going to be covering today are going to be all about your backpacks, prep hikes, and small skills that you can learn to better prepare yourself to have a successful trek. So the first thing we're going to talk about is backpacks. Obviously, Philmont is a backpacking experience, and so you're going to need a backpack that fits you in order to have a good trek. Philmont is one of the first serious backpacking trips that many scouts have been on and they might not have very much uh, backpacking experience before going to Philmont. Their packs themselves, they might be hand-me-downs, maybe handed down from a brother or a parent or an older scout in the troop. So it's very important to adjust that pack and learn how it fits you, whether that's taking it to an outdoor store like an REI to help it get fitted or looking at video tutorials online. And adjusting a pack, it really changes how the weight sits on your back or on your hips, I suppose, if we're gonna be specific. It's not like a regular school backpack where the weight is on your shoulders. A backpacking backpack is designed to transfer the weight onto your hips. And that's the same for external and internal frame packs. Even internal frame packs usually have a metal frame. Sometimes if it's ultra light, they'll have something else. But they are structured so that there is a frame in the pack that is just taking that weight off of your shoulders and sending it to your hips. Your hips can take a lot more than your shoulders. It's more like wearing a tight belt rather than carrying 30 to 50 pounds on your shoulders. So it's a lot more comfortable. And in order for that to work properly, in order for it to actually transfer that weight, it needs to be fitted to the person wearing it. For example, a taller person and a shorter person wearing the same backpack, you know, it's designed to transfer the weight just as well, and if properly adjusted, it would for both, but you can't just trade the backpacks. You can't just get that hand-me-down backpack from an older brother, put it on, and expect it to be comfortable, and expect it to carry the weight as it's intended. Usually, you can just pull on the straps a bit yourself, figure out how they work. It varies backpack to backpack, and find something that's comfortable for you. Anybody working at a pack fitting store will have a decent understanding of how they work. They'll be able to help you out, figure out what needs to be tightened, what needs to be loosened to get it to sit properly on your back. And from there, I personally prefer a little bit more weight on my shoulders, I think, than most people. So that's where the, the shakedown hikes come in. You can take that fitted pack and you can get used to wearing it. You can get used to how you like the weight, how you think it's comfortable. And also, just in general, being comfortable moving around and wearing that backpack. I think that that's actually a really big part of being comfortable on the trail, is just being comfortable with that weight on your back, knowing how it changes how you move. I guess this is going to be kind of hard to describe, but it really does change your center of balance. So just learning how that affects you and staying stable so you don't fall down, you don't have difficulty getting up or sitting down with it, 
I think it makes it a lot easier once you actually get out there to just know how it sits on your back. An- another thing to keep in mind, too, is that it's very important to go on shakedown heights with weight in your pack in order to start conditioning your shoulders, especially for carrying that weight. The first few times that you go backpacking, your shoulders, it's very normal to feel sore if you aren't used to having such a heavy load pressing down on your shoulders. Yeah, honestly, every summer, my first either day on the trail as a scout or the first few days on the trail of ranger training my hips would be kind of sore just from getting used to that weight it's not something that you do once and then it's there forever so even if you've done a trek in the past it's still important to go and wear the backpack with weight go for a walk it can be walking the dog it can be uh, walking on the treadmill doing stairs at a stadium or a tall building we're going to get into more specific things you can do to physically prepare So we're going to talk more about fitness in the future, but just walking with your pack is a great way to figure out what needs to change in the adjustments and also in how you're loading the pack up. So there is a generally accepted correct way to pack a backpack. And if you deviate too far from it, I'd say you you will notice. And that's to keep heavy things closer to your back. If anybody has done physics problems, they know that the further away the mass is from the pivot point, which is going to be your back, the more force it's going to exert on you. So keep it close to you, and in general, keep it centered in the pack. Keep that weight centered in the pack. So don't put all of your water at the very top of your pack. That's going to make it very top-heavy. And like I said, with just learning how that affects your center of balance, it will make it a lot harder to move around or lean side to side or do anything with that top heavy pack. And to put things into more specific terms, this often is going to look like putting your things like your sleeping bag, your tent at the bottom of your pack. Those are your heavier items. So they're going to be at the very bottom of your pack. And those will also be held closer to the small of your back against your back. Pretty much right on your hips. Yep. If you are putting your heavy stuff towards the bottom of your pack, a lot of backpacks will have kind of a sleeping bag compartment on the very bottom. And just to get into how I personally pack my backpack, I tend to keep my sleeping bag and my sleeping pad on the very bottom. So the very bottom of my pack is pretty light. But right above that, a lot of packs will have kind of a separating piece of material, usually just webbing or something holding it in place. And that separates most internal frame backpacks into two compartments. And right on that separator is where I like to put my heavy stuff. So extra water if I've got a dromedary. Stove fuel, food, tent components like steaks, my tent itself, anything extra that you're carrying, like a first aid kit, a crew first aid kit, tends to be pretty heavy. Usually you want that somewhere to be easily accessible, so it's going to depend on how the rest of your pack is packed if you put it there. But if you've got one of those fancy side zippers that a lot of packs have these days that allow you to easily get to that center area, I think that's a good place to put it. And then as you go up, I put things like jackets. So I want my rain gear to be easily accessible. I want things like a book that's fairly light or my fleece to be more towards the top and just kind of getting lighter and lighter as you go. And the very top, usually we call it the brain of the pack. That's where I'll keep things like a flashlight or a compass or my map. Yeah, and just to add on to all of that, if you kind of deviate from following that pattern of heaviest stuff at the bottom, working your way up to lighter things at the top, and you put something like a tent in between the body of the pack and the brain of the pack, 
that's going to be putting a lot of weight pressing down on your shoulders and that weight will be transferred onto your hips as easily and that's going to make your pack feel a lot heavier and a lot more uncomfortable than it would otherwise. Yeah, that's a good point. The tents that Philmont issues specifically are fairly heavy, and I do see a lot of crews putting that, just using the brain of the pack to hold it in place. And if you've kind of packed heavily and there's not a whole lot of room, that may be the only spot you can put it. But if you're going to be strapping it externally anywhere, I would recommend towards the bottom. A lot of packs will have some area, either built-in straps or loops for straps, where you can attach heavy things externally towards the bottom of the pack. Actually, external frame packs, the old-school ones, are actually really good for that. Really good at keeping the heavy tents right where you want them, right on your hips. So a lot of crews kind of opt for the more modern-looking internal frames, but you're not going to go wrong using an external frame at Philmont. They work great, too. Some other things that I noticed that packing-wise that I think are less desirable are pots on the outside of packs. Pots are pretty big. They may not seem like they would fit easily inside of a backpack. And that's true unless you put it in first. If you put the pot in first and then put everything else in it, so like put the pot at the very bottom and then put your tent around it or all of your food in the pot, if you pack into the pot, it really doesn't take up that much room. Whereas if you have it dangling from the back of your backpack, it's creaking around, making noise. It's getting dirty because it's getting set in the dirt every time you take off your backpack. Really recommend finding a way to keep that internal. And another benefit to putting the pot into your pack is that it provides a form for your pack. It kind of helps keep it open and allows you to keep putting more things into the pack itself than it would otherwise. If you try to shove the pot in on top as a, as a last thought, you're shoving it into a lot of stuff, basically. You're shoving it into your personal gear, into bags of food, into other bits of crew gear. But putting that pot in first really allows it to kind of help form how you pack the rest of your gear. And we recognize that if you're using Philmont-issued gear for these things, you may not have the ability to practice packing them. And that's not just the pot. Most crews will use Philmont-issued pots, but tents, rain flies, things like that. If you're using the Philmont-issued dining fly, the Philmont-issued tents, you won't really be able to practice packing those or practicing how those feel in your backpack. So you do have to plan ahead and recognize that you're going to be carrying more weight on the trail than you are necessarily on your shakedown if you're using all of your normal personal gear except for the tents, except for the flies, or the cooking gear. So make sure you are leaving enough room for that crew gear or the Philmont-issued gear. I've seen a number of people, mainly advisors, advisors tend to be the, the ones looking to be prepared for anything. A lot of times advisors will pack much heavier than they need to be and they don't really leave enough room for Philmont gear for fill food or for fill tents or whatever they're picking up. And I've seen some advisors hit the trail with their full packed to the brim backpacking backpack and then either kangarooing a smaller day pack on the front or having it strapped to the top of their backpacking backpack. And if you find yourself maxing out your backpack with just your personal gear before you get any Philmont gear, I really encourage you to go through what you're bringing and see what you really need and what you can leave behind. Because if you get there and you have two backpacks on the trail 
it's going to be a long 12 days. I think a good rule of thumb for preparing for that extra space that the Philmont provided food and crew gear will take up is to leave about a third of your pack space at least empty. Plan to have at least a third of your pack filled with the stuff that you will be receiving at Philmont. Another way to do that is pack your pack with all of your personal gear and then throw a, a pillow or two in, into there just to kind of simulate the volume that that gear will take up. I've heard crews mention they pack all the personal gear and then something like a basketball just as a placeholder. It's not going to weigh the same, obviously, but it will take up about the same amount of space. And so what we've kind of touched on so far is shakedown hikes and preparing and practicing with your gear before you go. So shakedown hikes, I, hopefully you're doing a few of those, one, for uh, the physical conditioning aspect, but two, getting used to using your gear. Everything from using your hiking boots to using your pack to setting up camp. And so I think that's something that we want to touch on now is practicing setting up and taking down camp is so important. A lot of crews end up wasting hours of time during their first few days on the trail learning how to be efficient in camp. As a ranger, I experienced uh, multiple crews spending two or three hours in the morning taking down camp, getting their sleeping bags put away, bringing their bear bags over, and then packing all of the food and gear into their packs before they were even ready to start hiking. That should not be the case. When you come to Philmont, you should already have some sort of baseline expectation for how you're going to approach packing up in the morning and being ready to hit the trail. Yeah, and your ranger will talk about a duty roster when you get to Philmont. If you come with one already prepared, that's great. But if you don't have one when you get to Philmont, your ranger will have you make one. And that's pretty important because it has every day planned out. So you don't have to figure out who's doing what as you go. So you can know who's going to be getting bear bags tomorrow and have those people go bring the bear bags back to camp instead of realizing an hour into breaking camp that no one's gotten them and they're still out there. Your ranger probably won't get up at the same time you do. Some rangers like to get up really early and they'll be up before you. Or they may wait and kind of take their time. And that's not because they're trying to be lazy or anything like that. They just know that generally on the first few days, it's going to take a while for a crew to get packed up and ready to go. And the more you do it, the more you practice taking down your tent, folding up your flies, packing up your backpacks, the faster you'll be. And once again, you know, if you're renting gear, if you're using a Philmont backpack, if you're using Philmont tents and Philmont rain gear or rain flies, you won't be able to practice every step of that process. You won't be able to practice packing your backpack over and over again if you're renting a Philmont backpack. And there's no replacement for it, but what you can do as the next best thing is just have a clear understanding of roles. Who is going to be getting the bear bags? Who is going to be taking what gear? Generally, it's best to just say, you know, if you carried it yesterday, carry it today. Having a clear understanding of what needs to happen before you break camp. And the, I think the best way to get that understanding of what needs to happen to break camp, to pack up all your stuff, to get your breakfast, get ready to go, is just do it. And if you can go on a practice hike and just set up camp and then break camp. doesn't need to be an overnight. It can be just a day hike where every mile or two you set up a campsite, talk about what went well, talk about what you could improve, pack it all up, talk about what went well, what can improve, hike a few miles and do it again. You don't need to do that for every training hike. You don't need to do that for the entire trip. But just getting a few of those cycles under your belt 
will make your first few mornings on the trail go much, much faster. Yeah, I when, when I was a ranger, I always tried to sit down with my crews on that first night on the trail and just have a discussion about their expectations for the next morning. And I would always ask the crew leader to kind of get, give us a, a time estimate of when they wanted to wake up and then what time they wanted to be on the trail by. And usually they would say something like an hour to an hour and a half after waking up in the morning is when they wanted to be hiking at. And usually for those first couple of days, it ended up being closer to two or two and a half hours after they woke up. So if you spend that time before you come to Philmont, really practicing how you are going to approach breaking down camp and packing up in the morning, it will help you get on the trail so much faster so you can start your day hiking. So another thing that you should have at least some familiarity with before you get to Philmont is the stove that you're going to be using. Philmont Rangers are most experienced with MSR Wispolites. We're not sponsored by MSR, you know, to say this to you, but that's just usually what crews will bring. And it doesn't need to be the actual MSR brand Wispolite. There are a lot of basically knockoffs that are about the same. And that's what your ranger will be familiar with. That's what we use during training. And if you have something other than that, it's going to be really helpful if you just have a understanding of how to light that thing. You come with a brand new stove right out of the box. They may not know how to help you set it up and light it the first few times. So just a little bit of familiarity. Practice lighting your stove a few times. Have a few people in the crew familiar with it. It'll make it a lot easier once you hit the trail. Less time figuring it out. Also, if it isn't a new stove, make sure you clean it or have it in a at least semi-clean state before you get to Philmont. And even if it's not so dirty that it won't light, you're going to be using it for 12 days straight, at least once a day. So it's going to get gunked up on the trail. So wherever it's starting from, you know, that's the cleanest it's going to be while you're out there. And it's best to have it as clean as you can get it before you leave. Make sure it's working. Clean it off. Clean off some of the, the soot and grit. Just double check that your stove lights and burns well before you get out there. And one of the reasons why Philmont likes the MSR Whisper Lights so much is that those stoves are basically bomb-proof. They are incredibly durable, they're very easy to use under almost any condition, and they're very easy to clean and maintain as well, even while you're in the backcountry. Just as an example, one of the easiest ways to clean the Whisper Light is to just flip it upside down and shake it a little bit. And when you do that, you should hear a little metal clinking inside of the stove. That's actually a cleaner needle that is manufactured as part of the stove that is just moving back and forth and punching out the dirt and the soot in a little hole that connects the fuel line from the fuel bottle to the stove itself. If you've noticed that your stove is having trouble lighting or getting hot enough to boil water, just kind of giving it a couple shakes like that can really go a long way to helping it improve its performance. Also, just to throw in here real quick some comments about types of stoves to bring and what to avoid. So Philmont does not allow wood cooking stoves. Some of them are pretty good for one or two people, but with the larger group, you really do want something that can get really hot really quick and in pretty much any conditions. So wood stoves are okay for doing some kind of ultralight backpacking on your own, but they're not allowed at Philmont. Canister stoves are increasingly popular. And they're very easy to use. They're, I'd say, easier to maintain than Wispolites or Wispolite-type stoves because there are really almost no moving parts, just the valve that controls how much gas is flowing. There's not a whole lot to break on them, typically. 
So a lot of crews like that. A lot of crews like how easy they are to light. However, a lot of them are smaller than white gas or other liquid fuel stoves. You know, it depends on the stove. There are absolutely some larger canister stoves. But bear in mind that you're going to be cooking and boiling water for 12 people in a large pot. So if you're still picking out what stove you're going to buy or what stove you're going to bring, try to stick to larger stoves. I'd say MSR Whisperlite type stoves are about the size you should be looking for. Individual jet boils are great for coffee. They're not great for cooking dinner. It's a lot of extra money to go out and buy 12 jet boils, you know, for everybody to have their own stove. Steer clear of that. It'll make cooking easier. It'll make the trek cheaper, and you'll save weight. So another skill that you should already have some sort of baseline for before coming to Philmont is how to use a compass and a map. These are pretty basic scout skills that many crews honestly aren't very proficient in when they come to Philmont. So just being able to use a compass to find north and then orient a map is such a benefit for helping yourself navigate while you're on the trail. Beyond that, knowing how to shoot a bearing is also very beneficial, especially if you're hiking off trail on one of the Philmont's neighboring properties, such as the Via Vidal in the North Country. Yeah. So... When you get to Philmont, your ranger will be covering how to use a map and compass. They'll pull you aside once you get to the turnaround and make sure everybody in the crew understands how a map and compass works. And honestly, you don't need to be super proficient with it. You don't need to be going off doing orienteering races. But just being able to find north using a compass, account for declination, and orient a map, that will cover about 90% of all map and compass work you will ever do at Philmont. It'll also make the time at the turnaround or trailhead a lot faster. You will be able to get hiking a lot sooner if you already have a baseline proficiency and people in your crew know how to use a map and compass. And that's nice because usually the crew is all rearing to go. They get off the bus. Everybody's excited. You form a pack line and then you sit down and you look at a map for a while. So everybody's excited to get on the trail, and just having that baseline understanding and comfort using a map and compass really helps that go a lot smoother. You don't need to be an expert. Your ranger will teach you everything you know, so even if you don't know anything, they'll still get you to where you need to be. But if you're just a bit more familiar with it, it will make it go smoother. I think it's also good to start getting into the habit on your shakedown hikes of pulling out your map and compass and checking where you are every single time you come to an intersection. I know at least for my troop, we always tended to hike in the same areas, so we all got very comfortable with knowing where we were going while we were on our practice hikes. But at Philmont, you're often not going to know where you're going. So if you're not stopping to pull out that map and your compass and check where you are, to make sure you are heading down the right trail, you're setting yourself up for adding a lot of extra miles to your day if you do end up taking the wrong turn. And just another point on that, in the past, Philmont has had trail signs with arrows, the more traditional go this way for this thing type sign. However, in the last few years, they've been transitioning to UTM posts. Harrison and Will talked more about this in the Backcountry episode, but without a map, those are pretty much meaningless. So you gotta be able to figure out your location using those UTM posts. They're basically the same thing as latitude and longitude, just a bit more user-friendly. Basically, you're plotting yourself on the map just like you would on any other chart or grid, like you would in math class. You don't need to be an expert. You don't need to be able to describe how it works, what it means. But if you can just plot yourself on a grid, 
that'll help a lot. And ultimately, I think what a lot of what we've discussed today, everything from the backpacks to the maps and compass really boils down to just being able to familiarize yourself with these things. You don't need to be an expert before you come to Philmont, but being able to be comfortable handling these items is going to help you really adjust very quickly and learn the finer points of what you need to know as you start hiking. Another thing to look at is the guidebook to adventure that you are mailed. The guidebook to adventure has most things you'll need when you hit the trail. Your ranger will cover more, your ranger will cover with more depth. But if you read through that booklet, you'll have a great understanding of the basics of how Philmont uses space to move you away from all smellables in camp, how the base camp days are structured, how campsites are set up at Philmont, how the cooking procedures work. So you don't need to memorize it. You don't need to be an expert in it. But just skimming through that will really help familiarize yourself with what to expect when you hit the trail. Well, that's all we have for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we have links to leave messages in the episode descriptions. As we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, this is the first in a series of episodes about skills to know and things to familiarize yourself with before you go to Philmont. In the future, we will be discussing topics such as fitness and personal gear. So stay tuned to hear about those.